and let's read a few verses of Scripture this morning. And uh, uh, I'm excited. I hope you're excited to be here. we got some things that we want to cover, a lot of things, not just... Uh, uh, just in this, but we got a lot of other things that we're going to try to cover this morning. Uh, even when you leave, we've got something for you. It's uh, so that you won't leave early. It's a, it's a T-bone steak dinner, I'll tell you that, all right? Uh, yeah, and we'll try to keep you here, call everybody in. Uh, man, we live in a, a wicked time, but we live in a great time, too. Um, as dark as it gets, I know that a lot of people may not understand this, but as dark as it gets sometimes, um, the Christian light, the light of Jesus Christ can be the brightest. And uh, some of our church services, listen, can be the best, amen. It can be the absolute best that we have. Um, I, I know that yesterday many of you were looking and watching things unfolding in Texas and wake up this morning to another uh, not only that, but the, also last week, even in a Walmart in, Missis, uh, in uh, Memphis, uh, same thing happened. I, I just want you to know this. Uh, those things are intended by Satan to inflict fear into you. Uh, they are done in uh, schools, movie theaters, uh, art districts, or Walmarts, or places of comfort and safety. And Satan wants to try to inflict as much fear in us as possible. Uh, let me remind you again, church, what the Lord has told many of these churches already in the book of Revelation. He said, hold fast, to hold fast. Paul says, when you've done everything you can, then just stand, amen, then, then just do that. So I just want to encourage you this morning. Look with me at Revelation chapter number 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 14. You got your Bible there? Say amen. amen. If, if you got your iPad there, you can do the same or phone. That's fine. We're not going to hold anything against you, Amen. He says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thou works, that thou art neither hot, or excuse me, neither cold or hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He said, I counsel you, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And look at this, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door... I will come in to him, and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Brian, will you pray for us? Yes, amen. I think you can be seated. This morning, I want to preach to you about the flavorless church. Uh, someone, someone already reminded me that this is the last church in the book of Revelation. And uh, church, I want you to really pay attention because it is going to be the last time you see until we get over and later into the book of Revelation that you'll see the church. The Bible talks about it very clear. And we're going to talk again like we've been doing about 
each seven things that we see in these churches. The first thing we're going to talk about is the commencing of this church, the beginning and the start of this church. In 261 B.C., uh, this city was actually dedicated by Antiochus II. Uh, Laodicea was a city that you found in the, what was called the Lycus Valley uh, in the Phrygia area. Um, this is uh, uh, in modern-day Turkey today, Asia Minor, of what Paul would have known, what John would have known. But this city actually laid a great foundation of finances. This city was very, very, and I can't stress it enough, out of all the cities we've talked about, very well off. They were very blessed financially. Uh, they were very blessed with the means of getting things done. Uh, just in as some of the other cities, this city had a, a major uh, uh, caravan route, a trade route, but it was a route that actually was different from the others. It wasn't just uh, the ones that were coming up and going into Rome or into that area, but it was also one that brought in a lot of the imports from uh, Asia. Uh, that brought in a lot of things that they traded off. And so this, this city itself, not just the church, we're not there yet, but this city itself was very blessed in finances and the trade route that they had. But one of the great commodities that they had was because of where they lived, they grew and they actually produced this black-colored wool. Uh, it was not just black in color itself, but it was black and shining and shimmering. Uh, they said that they would make the cloaks, black cloaks out of it, that they would also use it for fine, uh, fine clothing of the Roman soldiers. Remember, we talked about Lydia and where she lived in Thyatira and how she made the color and the linen, the purple linen, you remember, and some of the purple and the crimson colors and stuff that the Roman uh, guards or the Roman centurions and the Roman uh, uh, army, imperial army, would, would wear out. And uh, so in this city, they, they were very known for their black wool that they made. But the second thing that they were known for was their ophthalmologist school. They were, they were known for having great medicine. You remember when we talked about uh, the seat of Satan and uh, Zeus's throne and, and Pergamos or Pergamum? Remember we talked about how that they had one of the largest libraries there that was actually second to the library in Alexandria? That they had over 200,000 scrolls that were in that library, but you had to walk up those huge steps, the marble stones, and to go past the altar of Zeus, the seat of Zeus, and see Athena and Nike and all the other names of those gods, the false Roman gods, and people would want their name on the wall. They would want to have their image carved in stone. And you'd have to go through all of that in order to find out some kind of information medically about what you may have. Sister Kim shared just a while ago about Belize and some of the things that we take for granted uh, with stomach aches and headaches and other things like that that actually take some of the lives there of the people in Belize, especially the young children. Uh, just simple emodium, you know, that we have can go to the store and have access to that they need. And uh, uh, this would be like them having to walk through all of the Mayan ruins and the false gods and worshiping false gods. When I got to preach there this past time, uh, this past summer, a month or so ago, uh, I actually used that because I was using the blood covenants in the Word of God. And, and I got to go back to some of their ancient teachings of the Kechi Indians and the Maya Indians and was actually sharing with them how that they used to take and sacrifice people. They would give the people's lives of the village and sacrifice for sicknesses and for other things. And I said, man, that's not the biblical way. That's not what God tells us. What's great about our Lord is, is that He didn't choose you to choose your son or your daughter or yourself. 
himself, but he chose his own son, amen, to give his life for you. And so the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sins. But in the same way that, that in that Pergamum church, where if they had to, a need for medical need, they had to go past all of those things and not eat the things that were sacrificed to idols, it's the same way in the Laodicean church. Uh, they had a school of ophthalmology that, uh, that was known, it was widely known for what they would call this uh, um, phragia asav. And what it was, it would be a tablet that they would crush. It looked like, um, history says, it looked like a pumice stone. Uh, if you've ever read history, and uh, Tacitus, uh, that was actually a first century historian, wrote about this city. And he talked about it looked like a pumice stone and that they would crush it together and mix it with water and make a paste that they would put on the eyes and put directly on the eye. And then they would go and wash them off and it would cure a lot of their diseases, a lot of the things that they had. Uh, this city also in uh, Laodicea was much like Philadelphia and Sardis. Remember what happened to Sardis in Philadelphia? Remember, they were the ones that suffered from the earthquakes. They suffered really, really bad earthquakes. Uh, Philadelphia was one that suffered, like we talked about last Sunday, they suffered such a major earthquake in 17 AD that actually Rome told them that they didn't have to pay tribute to Rome or their taxes to Rome for five years, but yet for 20 years they had more earthquakes and aftershocks and earthquakes and aftershocks. And that city was just ravaged over and over. Remember, Jesus told them last uh, Sunday, he told them, that they would not have to go in and out anymore, but they would stand as a pillar in God's temple, amen? Talking about when the earthquakes would just crumble everything except those pillars, and people would have to run out of their homes and get out into the open so that nothing would fall on them. Jesus said, you won't have to do that anymore, but you'll be a pillar in the temple of my God, and you'll will be. you have the name of the city of my God on you. I, I can't go back to last Sunday. Why are you letting me do this? Somebody's got to do that sometimes, right? No, no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that to me ever. <laughs> but this city, <laughs> this city had that eye school, but also they suffered from the earthquake. They actually had one in 60 AD. They had an earthquake that came in and ravaged the city. But because of Laodicea being so rich and so wealthy, they actually told Rome that they were going to pay their tribute, that they needed no help financially, that they needed no help in anyone coming in and helping them rebuild. They actually made the statements that we have this and we are enough within ourselves. And that's what Tacitus wrote about them. They said the city was so wealthy that they didn't ask for money or any kind of Roman government help to rebuild anything. In this area, and we're trying to lay this foundation for you, in this area of the Laodicean church in the city of Laodicea, you had these three cities. You had Laodicea, you had Colossae, and you also had Heropolis. Now, I know a lot of these names kind of roll together sometimes. I know that we've talked about an Acropolis. You remember we talked about it was one of the high points with the fortress on top that Sardis said that they had, but yet a Roman soldier snuck up. I mean, excuse me, not a Roman soldier, but a, a Persian soldier run up through there and climbed his way in and killed everybody. The Acropolis was a high city. The Necropolis was the cemetery, right? We're all headed someday, if unless the Lord comes back to get us. But this is Heropolis, and it was a city. Heropolis was known for their hot spring waters. They actually had these hot springs that they said was a, 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 a real blessing and a help for people medically. There was people that would go to Heropolis and they would actually, or Aeropolis, and they would go and they would lay in these hot springs. And uh, it would say that it would help their muscles and it would soothe them. Anybody? 
need to go there, you know. Uh, it, then, then also you had this other city that was close by, and it was Colossae. You know, the, the church, uh, the book of Colossians, we understand that. Well, they were known for their cool waters. They were known for their cool drinking water, cool waters. And, 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 and what happened in those days is that cities like Laodicea, Brother Brian, were not able to have, a, that didn't have a good water source themselves. Then the Romans would build these aqueducts. And they would build these aqueducts, aqueducts, whatever you want to call them, when they would build them, it was actually just a channel or a funnel in order to bring the waters from Colossae and Heropolis into the area of Laodicea. When you go to any, any place in Israel today and you see any stamp of the Roman people, whether it be in Bethshean, whether it be in any of the other areas, Decapolis and places like that, you will see these aqueducts or these aqueducts there. And the reason was because Rome always said, if we can keep people healthy with drinking water, we can keep them healthy with exercising uh, out doing uh, the games and other things like that and keep them busy. And we could also give them places to where they could bathe and stay uh, uh, in, in good hygiene. They said then our cities would be able to last much longer. And uh, we know that they did. They were a great empire at their time. But you go to any of these places, you'll see the residues of all of these aqueducts that brought the waters in. Well, the Bible says, and uh, excuse me, not the Bible says, but history says that Colossae and Heropolis was the ones that the two aqueducts that they would come in to the area of the Laodicean people and the Laodicean church. And so these two things that happen, uh, Jesus uses this as an illustration in just a moment. And when the people would visit the city of Laodicea, because it took so long for the waters of Heropolis to get to Laodicea, it actually went from being hot water that they could use for medicine, that they could actually put together and use it in a way to where it would heal the people. When it finally arrived, it would come lukewarm. Then when the cool waters of Colossae would finally travel down the aqueduct and make its way into Laodicea, you can understand the same thing happened and that the waters, when they finally got there, Brother Butch, would be lukewarm. It's said by Tacitus that he said that when they went to Laodicea, that the people would drink of the water of Laodicea. And when they would drink of the water of Laodicea, and I'm not going to do it for those of you that are on the front row, although I would like to, that they would take a drink of that and when they brought it in, it was actually they ingested it, but they would spit it out. He said, uh, he recorded that people would come in for the first time not knowing the water systems and said that they would go and they would get some water that was not at the other places where they would have it prepared and they would drink that water and it would be lukewarm and that people constantly visiting the city was just spitting out all of that water. And the Bible says, under the angel of the church of Laodiceans, right, Jesus is saying, I know you. He says one more time, Brother David, I know who you are. He specifically says, now here, here's the thing. Please don't get frustrated at me. If you may think something different, that's fine. But there are some people that think that the church at Ephesus, or the church at Thyatira, the church at Sardis, Smyrna, and all these other churches, they actually try to teach that this may be certain time periods for the church. That in the first century, that was the Ephesus church. That at later on in the centuries, that that's where uh, our uh, uh, Philadelphia came in. That's where uh, Pergambles came in. That's where Smyrna came in. And they're picturing it as some kind of time periods and stuff. But the reason I don't see it in that way is because every single letter that is addressed, it addresses that church. 
And he's addressing that church. And listen, we may have gone through periods of time where these things have happened and we've seen it a little bit more. Uh, How many of you know living in the uh, city of Birmingham or close to the city of Birmingham that we have murders uh, constantly? You know, we we understand that we have those. And uh, even the other day as I was looking back and I was trying to think back, uh, some of the heightened times of murder in Birmingham were in 1992, 93, and 94. uh, More than what we have now. Now we have an average of about 90 per year. In that, those three or four years, we had an average of 141 to 145 murders. Actually, we're doing better. It's coming down. Amen? That's a good thing. You know, y'all can, y'all can go, whoa, that's good. You know, you don't have to look at me like, like a deer in a headlight. That's a good thing. But time periods come and time periods go. But sometimes what we think about it, we go, well, maybe it was worse here or maybe it was better there and all this. We just really need to look at it as that in these scriptures, in this book, in these different churches, it's, they're not just captured in one moment of time. It could actually happen again. There could be a church that's in our city today of Warrior that may be in the same predicament as the church at Sardis. Man, that's one that I don't want to be in. I don't want to have a name that we're alive, but really we're dead. I don't want that, do y'all? I, don't, I definitely don't want to be this Laodicean church. You know why? Because Jesus had the most sternest words, the most firm words to speak to this church. You know what he actually speaks to this church? Is that you nauseate me and I spew you out. Now, I don't know about y'all, but, you know, if, if you're a guy and you're going to, you know, try to go out with a girl and you're going to ask her out and stuff, and she turns to you and goes, you know what, you nauseate me and make me want to throw up, that's not really going to make you feel great when you walk away. You know what I mean? That's not going to make you just feel like, well, there's other fish in the sea. No, that's going to make you want to jump off somewhere, right? It's true. Listen, Jesus says, church at Laodicea, when I see it, when I see what's happening, I am nauseated and want to vomit you, spew you out of my mouth. Look at the things that he says right here, the characteristics of Jesus. Jesus says, I know who you are, and he says, but I want you to get, to, get acquainted to who I am. Look at what he says. He says, these things saith the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He said, yes, I know who you are, Laodiceans, but I want you to remember who I am. He said, first of all, I am the amen. I am the one that has all truth. I am the faithful and the true witness. Jesus is saying when he says I'm the amen and the faithful and true, he's saying I'm trustworthy and I'm a reliable witness. Not only is my truth reliable, but it is also in the sense to where it is agreed with by others. When we agree, amen. Amen. He said, I am a faithful and a trustworthy witness. He says this, church, and don't get it confused. He says, I'm the beginning of creation. This is not to be confused and think that Jesus was created. There are some people that have the idea that God never had a son until Mary had a son. That's just not the case. The Word of God is very clear that in the beginning, they all made us in the image of God. Amen. Us make a man into our image. The Bible is very clear. When you look at the Old Testament, there are what are called Christophanies, which are Old Testament appearances of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, that he is the captain of the host of the angels. He is not an angel. He is higher than all the angels because you know why? He is not created. He created them. In this scripture, he's telling us, he's telling the church at Laodicea, he said, I am the beginning of creation. What he's saying is, is that I am the father. I am the creator. I am the maker. I'm the designer. I'm the master of all 
all creation. Not saying that I was the first one born. He's saying I'm creation of all. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 11 or chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 says. God who at sundry times in a diverse manner spake in times past unto the fathers by prophets. Says but hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. Listen. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that all things consist and all things are created by Christ. Amen. He is the creator of these things. Jesus is saying, I'm the amen. He says, I am the faithful and true witness. I am reliable. You can count on what I say. And not only that, I am the beginning of all things. I am the creator. I have preeminence. I have total priority over everything that you see. And what he's trying to say is in a moment, we're going to get there, and I get ahead of myself sometimes, but this Laodicean church in this city thought they had everything and had need of nothing. And Jesus is saying, by the way, Everything you do have, I created it. Everything that belongs that you think to you, the black wool that you sell, the the trade and all the stuff that comes in, that's from my creation hand because I am the beginning of all creation. Listen, the Bible says this in this other part in the commendation. Jesus said nothing good to this church. Here's another church. Jesus had no commendation for them. He commended them for nothing. Look, that's... That's, that's sad. Church, whether you're a member of North Highland or whether you're a visitor and you go to a church and you're a member of that church, God forbid that we ever have it said about us that the Lord had nothing good for us, nothing good to say for us or about us. And we should pray, Lord, let us always be pleasing. Lord, let whatever we do with our youth and students and children and Lord, senior adults and men and women, whatever we do, let it be to the glory of the gospel. Lord, whatever we sing, Lord, let it always be to the glorify the name of Jesus Christ, who is the name above all names. Amen. We should come together always thinking, Lord, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. So that the Lord would commend us, knowing that we were faithful to his name and we kept his word. Amen. He has nothing to say to this church that is actually good. The only thing that he has to tell them is criticism. The only thing that he has to say to them is, look at what it says. I know your works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. He said, I would that thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, he said, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Look at the first thing Jesus says. Seven times through seven churches and seven cities, he tells this church, I know your works. I know you. You know what's so amazing about that? And I know maybe we've talked about it each Sunday. But you know what's amazing about that? Is that not only does he know the church, but he knows you. He knows every single thing about you. And no matter if the pastor does, no matter if the deacons do, no matter if the church does, no matter if society does, it really don't matter. It really don't matter. The Lord knows us. And he says, I know you. He said, I know who you are. And listen, why does he know us? Because in the very beginning of the book, in Revelation chapter 1, he said what? John said, when I saw him, his eyes were as a flame of fire. You know what it does? You know what it means? That he understands that he has pure sight, he has pure judgment, and that he is a refiner in what he looks at. So he can actually break you down to where you are and know everything about you. Even in your prayer time, if your prayer time's like mine, and you begin to talk to the Lord, and he says, uh uh-uh, uh, no, no, no. And he tells you, you need to go back, rewind a little bit. Amen. I don't know if the Lord does you that way, but I'm, I'm dumb like that, and I need him to help me as much as I can. Then Jesus, second of all, look right here, he addresses this church's flavor. 
He says, I know your works. And now he addresses their flavor. He said, you're neither cold or hot. He said, but you're lukewarm. This church was in that area that I told you where the Heropolis waters came in and the Colossi waters came in. Hot waters that would heal, cool waters that would refresh as they would come in every time. By the time they traveled to Laodicea, they turned into lukewarm waters. They turned into what is, uh, they call tepid, to where it's just bland, it's flavorless. And I want you to listen to these words. See what he says. He says, thou art neither cold nor hot. Look, I would that thou art cold or hot. Some people look at that scripture and go, Brother Steve, see, God's telling this church that he would rather be, them be on fire or not on fire or, or saved or not saved. That, that's not, this is a letter not addressing the world. This is not a letter that's addressing people that are lost out in the world and need to be saved. It's not that way. He's telling them that their service, their actions, their fruit for the Lord. He said, when I listen, when I see, when I hear, when I find them, he said, you are lukewarm and you're neither cold or hot. And he's saying, I would rather you be a refreshing cold cup of water to someone or a hot medicinal water to someone. He's saying, I would rather your works be passionate about being a refreshing church and be excited and passionate about being the church that wants to refresh the people or I would rather you be the one that's helping the hurting. And a lot of people go, see, why can't we be both of them? Jesus is not saying you need to get on board or you need to get out. Why would he tell the people of the church you need to get out? He wouldn't tell them that. He's talking about their attitude. He's talking about their flavor. It reminds me of Jesus saying what? You are the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its savor, its flavor, it says it's not fit for its use, right? He says, even in the scriptures, Jesus said, it's not even fit to be cast out on the dung pile to get rid of the smell of the manure, right? Y'all didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? Yeah, it's country. The Bible's very, very country when you talk, Amen. Then you got to be from the country to understand it sometimes. He's saying to this church, he's like, you seem like you have everything. You seem like you don't have things. He's saying back and forth. He said, I would rather you be passionate in refreshing or passionate in medicinal, passionate in helping and doing these things. Church, it's no way that he's saying you need to be saved or you need to be lost. It's not that. He was saying, your walk with me is never on point. It's never on point. And he's saying, you're never refreshing to people. And you're never helping people. He's saying, you're nothing but lukewarm. And all you're doing is going through motions of church. All you're doing is just going through the actions. And you seem like you're refreshing to people. But the time they get a drink of that refreshing cool water, they realize you're only lukewarm. By the time they realize they can get help from you from that warm water, he's saying you're nothing but lukewarm. And this picture, church, look at it. It says, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, you're neither helping people in their refreshment or in their help that they need. Look at what he says. Because of this, look at these words, and these are strong words. I will spew you out of my mouth. The word in the Greek is vomit. I know that's not what you want to hear today, especially when you're going to go to Cracker Barrel later. The word in the Greek is emao. E-M-A-O. It's emao, and it means to vomit. It doesn't carry just the definition. Please pay attention and hang on with me on this one. It doesn't carry, Brother Edward, just the definition of I'm going to get some of that water in my mouth, rinse it around a little bit, and then spit it out. No, it carries the idea that Jesus comes to these waters of this church and he takes a drink of their water 
and he's taking it in. But as he is taking it in and ingesting it, not spitting just only, but he says, I will spew. And in that sense, it means that Jesus is taking it in, and when it hits the back of his throat, and it's coming down into his body and into his stomach, that it actually causes him to vomit them out. It's not that Jesus just goes, y'all don't taste good. No. It's Jesus saying, when I think about it, it makes me throw up. Now, Now listen, I know that that's really not sophisticated for a pastor to say. and I won't be invited to the big city to preach a message on the throw-up church. But that's the definition. It carries the meaning that Jesus says, when I come, it makes me nauseated. It's the same thing. And you think, well, brother, see, you think he was that harsh. It's the same thing. When he and his disciples were going into Jerusalem that day, and he came to the fig tree that had leaves on it but no fruit. He saw that tree because it had leaves that come forth first and then bring forth the fruit that that tree should have something good on it. Because he was hungry, he walked over to a tree that said, hey, look at me, I'm bearing fruit. I've got some fruit on here. And when he went to reach and to grab and to lift up the leaves and there was no fruit, he said, you'll never bear fruit again he what he was saying was is you are a false tree you are a false witness and you are not who you say you are that's what he's saying to this church he's saying you talk about the waters of Colossae and you talk about the waters of Heropolis and you're bringing all this in but the time it gets to you you are not hot or cold but you're lukewarm you're tepid and he said and it makes me spew you out of my mouth it's not Jesus sampling, you know, between hazelnut and pumpkin spice, going, I just don't like that. I'm not a pumpkin spice fan. I don't like this. Or, or getting excited. No, it means that he's looking for something refreshing. And when he saw this church, they have no, nothing. Brother Andrew, they have nothing that's refreshing. Nothing good to be said about them. So Jesus now gives them correction. And he tells this church, about the correct... No, 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 we're not going there. we got to go back, Brother Steve. Listen, let me give you these five things that Jesus says about them real quick. He says, I'm the amen, the faithful and true witness. And he spoke the truth. What did he say? He said, you're wretched. Look at these last words. He said, because you say you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I don't, I don't need you. He said, do you not know that you're wretched? Wretched carries this definition. It means to be low, dejected, unhappy. He said, you're really... Just wretched inside. He said, you're miserable. That word in the Greek is elenos, and it means to be pitied by someone. He said, you're poor. Listen to this word more than any. It's uh, Greek. It's tohas. And it means this, reduced to beggarly, begging and asking for alms. That, that doesn't describe that church. Look at what it says right there, Brother Craig. It says, because you are rich and increased with goods, and you think you have need of nothing. You, you say you have need of nothing. We don't need anything from Rome to rebuild. We are great financially. We don't need anything. And Jesus says you're poor. And you know what he means by poor? Tohas. He means you are reduced to beggarly. You think you have all this stuff, but you have nothing. And look at what he says. He even tells this church that lived in a city that bragged on its what? Phygerian Asav. He said you're blind. He said, you're producing this ISAB that is helping people physically. He said, but church at Laodicea, you are blind. You can't even see. You know what he's describing here? He's describing the average church in the United States. 
of people that have their name on a church roll, people that say that they've been baptized, people that say that they go to church, people that say that they're okay, and then they go home and say, I don't have to go to church to be saved, and I don't have to read the Bible in order to be born again, and I don't have to do things that are holy. I can just live like I want. And Jesus says, you say you have no need of me because you live that way. He said, you're living your life saying that you know me and you're a church or you're a Christian, but you're acting like you have no need for me because you're so rich, because you're so blessed. He said, but you're wretched. He said, you're miserable inside. You're poor and beggarly. And he even says this, you are blind. He says the last thing, he says, you're naked. They were bragging about their black, shiny, glimmering wool that they produced there in the city of Laodicea. Many of the church members probably wore around just like Achan would put on Babylonian garments in the Old Testament and hold on to that gold bar that he stole when God said don't do it. And they would look at themselves and say, we're not poor. We're not like that church in Philadelphia that needed help from the government for five years. We're not like those people in Philadelphia when they were ravaged by an earthquake that they couldn't seem to get things together. No, you don't worry about us, Jesus. The church at Laodicea is just doing fine. We're doing great, and we have no need of nothing. And Jesus says, well, when I searched you, and when I looked at you, and when I came to you, I found wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked people. He said all of this. The problem was this, church. It, they had sin. Now Jesus corrects them. Look what he says. He said, I counsel you to do something. He said, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. He said that you may be rich in white raiment that thou mayest be clothed in the shame of thy nakedness so it does not appear. He said, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, amen, that thou mayest see. And as many as I love... I rebuke and chase and be zealous, therefore, to repent or and repent. Jesus counseled this church and he says, number one, you need to buy of me gold. He said, come to me for gold. You know what? In the scriptures, gold is a representation of, always has since the beginning, all the way to the end, even street of gold in heaven. You know what is a representation of? Faith. Job said, I know that after he has tried me, I shall come forth pure as gold. Amen. It was talking about when his faith is put in the fire and it's tried. Paul talked about faith being tried. Peter talked about faith being tried as gold in the fire. And it would bring up the impurities and it would bring forth precious metals and precious, wonderful, wonderful gold and silver. Listen, Jesus says, you need to buy, you need to have faith in me. You need to come to me and get an attain of me gold. Amen. And when he's talking about buying, understand for one moment, Jesus is not saying that you must purchase faith. You, Jesus is not saying to this church, get, listen to me, don't, don't turn me off yet, but he's not saying to this church that you've got to buy your salvation or anything of that means. He is speaking the language of the Laodicean people. They had need of nothing. They had all the riches they wanted. And so Jesus is speaking in their language. When Jesus told Jacob, when he told the rich young ruler to go and sell all that he has and come and follow me, that's not a prerequisite for you to be saved. God didn't say you got to sell your house, sell your car, sell your watches, sell your cows, sell your horses in order to be saved. What did he say for us to be saved? We must believe that Jesus is Lord, that he's the Son of God. Amen. But when he spoke to the rich young ruler about about that he was addressing him at where he was and he was saying if you're not willing to follow me then really in footsteps in actual putting it your faith into motion he's saying then your heart's not ready to follow me amen, amen? Yeah, 
Which is the same thing he tells them. Even in the Old Testament, what did he say? He said, all of those in Isaiah, he said, come and buy wine from me. Come and buy salvation from me. And what he was saying is, is bring everything to me and lay it in the storehouse of God. Listen, he says, and also buy white raiment so you can be clothed. The shamefulness of your nakedness. What was he saying? He was saying that black wool that's shiny and glimmering that's on you, it may look good. And it may be appealing on the outside appearance. He said, but inside, I still know the sinful person that you are. He said, you can cover it up with gold. You can cover it up with black wool. You can cover it up with anything you want. Man, you can buy toupees. Girls, you can put all the makeup that Maybelline's ever made, and you can do all that stuff. But here's what God says. Jesus says this, I know you. I know you. You can put on your smiles when you come to church, and you can take them right back off when you leave. You know what? That also includes all the pastors that are in here too. Man, what a day we live in where a lot of our pastors and friends, they're preaching in the pulpits with smiles on their faces and they're walking out and they're eliminating and killing themselves. God says he knows who we are. God knows you. And he says you don't need to be clothed with that things of the flesh. He says, no. He said, you come to me and I'll give you white red. What is he talking about? He's talking about Righteousness. He's talking about, I will clothe you with my righteousness. Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. He says, come also. And listen, this is like really a stab at this church. He says, come and anoint your eyes with eye salve and you'll really see. He's saying, you think you've got sight just because you can see trees and mountains? He said, but you can really see when you see who I am. He's talking about, come and have your sins washed away. Remember this church. Listen, made Jesus nauseated. He told them, listen, that when I think of your works, when I think of you and I see these things, that I get sick and want to vomit. In all that Jesus said, are you with me? In all that Jesus said about nothing good of this church or wanting to throw up because of them, I want you to listen to these other words. He says, and as many as I love, he said, I chasten, rebuke, and I chasten. Even as sick, Sarah, as this church made Jesus, he's telling them this because he loves them. See, many people today, you come to hear a service here, you think a pastor or a preacher is mad because he's energetic and he's real preaching and he's, he preaches on the authority of the Word of God, not his own authority of the Word of God and what the Word of God says. Our people today think that that's hateful and that's mean and that's just almost in the sense of bullying, but it's not. It's through love. I don't know, I don't, I don't know how any other way to put it to you than this, but if you were driving down the road and there is a huge lake or a huge cliff that's ahead, don't you want somebody on the side of the road saying, Stop! Stop! Turn around! Then just simply looking at their phones as you drive by or simply going now darling and dear please stop please do not go this way and crash over this cliff and die no I want somebody to tell me I want somebody to warn me and Jesus has such strong words for this church he says you nauseate me he said but I want you to know I love you he never ever ever Cody left his love in any of these churches, he never left it out. 
He never did. He treated them as their own children, or as I would treat my own children. He loved them and was stern and was firm with what he had to say because he was warning them of the way they were going. But he says, I want you to know, those that I love, I rebuke them and I chastise them. He said, so you ought to be zealous or jealous. You ought to be moving back to the place of what? Here it is one more time, church. One more time. Repent. 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 Turn away from your sin. Turn away from living that way. Turn away from doing that. And then listen, we're going to switch things up today. Usually I talk about the caution, but I want to talk about the certainty, and we're going to close in just a moment. Listen, the Bible says in verse 21 and 22, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Look at those verses right there. Jesus loves the church, and he wants this church, as well as all the other churches and us, to repent and to do the right thing. Jesus promises to the one that overcomes what will happen. They will have the honor of joy and the privilege of sitting in the same throne as him. You will sit with me in my seat. What does that mean? It means that we will enjoy all of the authority, all of the honor, all of the glory, everything. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You won't sit out there. You will sit with me right here. Amen. You will come and sit with me. Listen, Jesus gives us that promise. Jesus as the victor over sin and death. Listen, he gets to sit in the same seat as his father. Amen? The Bible even says that. But us, we get to sit in the same seat as Jesus. Why? Through victory that we have in Jesus. Which means that we will enjoy the same blessings, the same promises, the same privileges, power, honor, glory as Jesus. He's not going to keep it from us. Amen? Listen, everything, if you want to sum it up, you can write this down, but everything the father has, the son's got. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, because I've overcome, he said, I sit in the throne of my Father. Amen. What he's saying is, everything the Father's got, I got it. Here's the other thing. Jesus says, and everything the groom has, the bride has. Listen, it's not, it's not that thing that we talk about. Patty says that, you know, his money is my money and my money is my money. That's not it. It's not, and we ain't going to get into no money discussions, okay? Because I don't like to talk about it in front of Patty because she, she, she's tight. See, if you ever hear Abraham Lincoln screaming, it's because she's got the penny in the hold and won't let go. But, hey, it's one of those things where we're together. Not only that, listen, whatever we have as a church, we have it together. That's what's great about a church. I know you think in your mind, I don't need church. Let me tell you something. You do need church. I don't need church on Sunday night or Wednesday night. Yes, you do. You need church. You need church in revival meetings. I'm going to take my shoes off for a moment and hope that there's no holes in my socks. But if they are, it just means that they're sacred. Listen. Listen, when you stump your toe, what's the first thing you do? Now listen, if you say a dirty word, you need to repent. <laughs> you, need, you need to repent. I don't know about y'all, but when I stomp my toe, first thing I do is grab it. Right? Hold on to it. Hey, isn't that a beautiful image? That's a beautiful image. We hold on to it. Man, we walk around limping, but when we stomp our toe, we grab a hold of that thing and go, Oh, and what do you do? You squeeze it, thinking that the squeezing will push the pain back up through the leg or something. You're holding on to it. In a church that is the church of Jesus Christ, us, the body of Christ, when you're hurting, you need church because you need someone to come along when you stump your toe to come to the side of you and to help you. It may feel like they're squeezing you, but what they're trying to do is help you with the pain. Amen? And listen, we need church. And Jesus says that everything the groom's got, the bride's got. 
Amen. Listen, I don't know if y'all got that, but I got it late. I got it Tuesday, and I've been excited ever since. Listen, Brother Brandon's going to come, and I, I, I want to share this last thing with you. And, and listen, this is probably the most important thing. Please pay attention. Don't, don't, if you, if you, I don't even know if we say uh, zip up your Bible. I don't think we got zippers on them anymore like they used to. But, but don't turn me off. Don't, don't get ready to go just yet. I, I want you to look at verse 20. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. Now, we use that scripture a lot of times as a gospel invitation, and it's okay to do that. It's really okay to do that as an individual, that the Lord is wooing and he's calling you. And if you're sharing the gospel with someone and you want them to be saved, it's absolutely okay to reach into Revelation 3 and 20 and lay that thing out there and tell them that the Lord's knocking and he wants you to be saved. But I also want you to understand that within the context of this scripture, I want you to see the position of our Lord. Jesus is not inside this church at Laodicea. Jesus is on the, Jesus is on the outside of this church. Jesus is on the outside knocking. And man, when I read that, it hit me hard. I wonder how many churches won't let Jesus in. They won't let him into the program. They won't let him into the service. They won't let him into the ministries. They won't let him in. You say, do you think a church could do that, Brother Steve, and still function? Absolutely. Because many of them today are functioning on the money and the funds that they have. What happens to a church that Jesus loves and he comes to visit? And he's on the outside knocking. I didn't, I didn't make this scripture up. It's wrote down in the Word. He said, behold, I'm standing at the door. And look at what it says. He says, I'm knocking. Jesus is the one that's trying to get in. Now, we want to talk about doorknobs, and we want to talk about that there's no doorknob on the outside, and Jesus can't get in in that way, and all that. No, he's knocking. And he's saying, church at Laodicea, I want to be in your services. I want to be in your ministries. I want to be there with you. None of them will let him in. Look at what he says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. But look at this part. This is the part that took my heart and just really opened it up and just tore it up. He said, if any man hear my voice, not only is it a picture of Jesus, Brother Ronald, outside the door knocking, trying to get into the church here, but it's also the picture and the image of Jesus saying what? He's calling out. Donald! Lee! Philip! Martha! Ross, let me in. He's calling. He said, if any man hear my voice, and he's saying, hey, I know somebody's in there. We all let me in. It's the picture of Jesus, God's Son, calling out to a church, vocally, knocking, saying, what are you doing? You can't, you can't have service without me. It takes you back to where he says, where at least two or three are gathered in my name, there would I be in the midst of them. And Jesus is saying that the church at Laodicea does not have two or three gathered in his name because they won't let him in. And God forbid, God forbid that he's standing outside of our church this morning while we gather for an hour. And we meet and we greet and we shake hands and we sing and we talk about him, but we never invite him in. We never say, Lord, you're, you're free. Come on in. You're the main guest. Get the trumpets, blow the trumpets, roll out the red carpet. Here is the king that we're worshiping. Amen. He's on the outside and he's calling. 
but it also carries that same picture to you as an individual. He's calling. He's saying, how much longer are you going to make me stay on the outside? How much longer am I going to knock? Can you not hear me calling? Your voice calling your name? Calling out to you? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Look at these words. He says, if any man. Now you know what that means? If any person. What a promise right there. If anybody opens up the door, I'll come in. Anybody opens up the door, I'll come in and I will sup with him and he with me. What a wonderful thing Jesus is cautioning us today as a church. Don't you forget that your gathering and your meeting is all about me and I'm the main guest Don't let me be on the outside. And he's also telling you as an individual, he's telling you now, he's cautioning you, saying, you better let me in now. Let me in now. Open the door now so that I can come in. How many? How many are here? And how many churches do we have that won't let Jesus in? Are you afraid? that he's going to beat you or to whip you into submission because he's told us in that scripture that he's not. You know what he tells you? He said, if you open the door, I'll just come in. He didn't say, and I'll come in and fix you and correct you and whip you. He said, if you open the door, I'll come in and I will sup with you. I'll have fellowship and communion with you. Let me pray for you, Father. This is your time, and this is these people's time, Lord, individually and as a church. There's no person on this earth that can make people come. Lord, there's no person in heaven that makes people come. They have to hear you knocking, and they have to hear your voice calling. Lord, if they hear you this morning, Lord, I pray they have the strength enough the encouragement enough to get up. that They say, Lord, I'm letting you in. I've lived without you long enough. I'm letting you in. You will be my Savior, and I will be your servant. You are the Lord that bled and died for me. I accept you as my Savior. Now, I'm letting you in. With every head bowed closed. Listen, that's salvation. That's true salvation. Jesus, you are Lord. I surrender to your will. I'm letting you in. God, I pray that they do it. Lord, if there are others who have been living without you, that they know that you are Lord and they know you are their Savior, they know they're saved. They have been worshiping. They have been living, working without you in your presence. God, I pray they also hear you as you're knocking on the door this morning and you're telling them, I want to have fellowship with you again. It's been a long time since we fellowship together. Let me in. Let me in. Lord, this is your time, your invitation. You do all all things, Lord. We glorify you. If you would, let's stand together.